You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Joel. And this is Matt, and you are listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. I almost never gamble, never get involved in speculation, and certainly have never bought a lottery ticket. The reason, however, may surprise you. It has nothing to do with the odds of winning, although those are sparingly low. It has nothing to do with the wasting of money, yet if you buy lottery tickets on a regular basis, you certainly are. In fact, the reason may actually set me somewhat apart. I am, for the most part, money indifferent. I don't swoon for fast cars, spiffy mansions, or outrageous vacations. In fact, money growing up didn't seem to make me smarter, faster, or more worthy of love and respect. So mostly, I didn't daydream about the lottery. Nonetheless, windfalls occasionally came my way. A few inheritances, bonuses, surprise raises, or advances. But because the money mostly didn't mean anything to me, I did what I always do with extra money, put it in index funds, and forgot about it. My friends over at the How Do Money podcast, Matt and Joel, however, recently put out an episode that intrigued me. They asked the provocative question, what if you won the lottery? And then do a masterful job of describing why conducting this thought experiment is important. Well, today, I feel like I just won the lottery and being lucky enough to have them here on the show to discuss this very important topic. Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix are not only best friends, but also the hosts of one of the greatest personal finance podcasts out there, How to Money. On their show, they dispense down-to-earth financial knowledge that is not only easy to digest, but also super impactful. I love chatting with them so much that I invite them on the show every year. Joel and Matt, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Joel, have you ever come upon a windfall? If that's an offer, Jordan, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would love I would love some money. No, I haven't really ever had a massive windfall. Although it's it's something that happens more often than than you think to people, whether it's the death of a loved one. Typically, it's not winning the lottery, right? That's a hard, that's harder to come by. But with these kind of recent billion dollar lottery jackpots, it's on the minds of more and more people. Like, oh, <laughs> I, I want that. Should I go for it? There's office pools and stuff, and and somebody might come around and say, all right, I'm buying the lottery tickets. You know, toss your five bucks in. We're gonna split it if we win it. So there's definitely, I think. A lot of people have that mindset, like, that would be awesome. That's what I want. But I've never had it happen to me myself. Joel, tell me the truth. Have you bought lottery tickets? Is that something you do? I have never bought a lottery ticket. Me neither. It is not not a moralistic thing. It is not like, I'm going to hell if I buy a lottery ticket. 
or yeah, I don't know, it's not part of my life. It's not even the fact that like, yeah, like, like you said, oh, I'm five bucks down the drain necessarily. Although that is part of it. I, cause I actually have played blackjack in back in the day at a casino. I found it to be a lot of fun. I think of it as purely entertainment. Blackjack um, and dog racing. Joel's into more the seedier, <laughs> the seedier betting. Exactly. Uh, less the lottery, which is wholesome fun. You right. know, for the, the whole family, as opposed to cockfighting. That's <laughs> <laughs> definitely not going down that path. But so, yeah, I don't mind tossing a little money at, at Blackjack every now and again. But lottery tickets seem like even more of a waste. And so it's just something I've never, I've never participated in. And, and I think... I don't necessarily know that landing $700 million or a billion dollars, putting that in my lap would actually give me what I want. I think it, it might actually give me a lot more headache than, than I bargained for. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. And in a moment, I want to delve deeper into that. But Matt, before we do, what qualifies as a windfall? I mean, yes, winning a billion dollars in the lottery certainly is a windfall. But there are lots of windfalls in our lives, right? Like big and small. Mm-hmm. I think even something that like even a big refund from the IRS could potentially qualify as a windfall. Right. And so a, a big reason that we thought it'd be fun to talk about, like, what would you do if you won the lottery? What if that actually happened is to get people thinking through this. Like We wanted to put them into the mind space of, hey, imagine that you've got this sum of money that's fallen into your lap. And I think it can be helpful for for a lot of different reasons, because chances are you are. There's a lot of folks out there who have received a, a, a refund from the IRS that might be larger than they expected, or maybe a small inheritance, maybe even an unexpected bonus at work, let alone an actual jackpot that they that they might have won. And so thinking through, th- there, there's a higher chance of one of those things happening than the other, right? <laughs> so it's not necessarily to prepare folks for winning the lottery, but thinking through, hey, what if... You had a, a few more thousand dollars. What if you had ten, twenty thousand dollars more, right? Say with maybe an inheritance. What would you do? And we think that by th- just thinking through some of those different steps, that that could better prepare folks for a situation like that 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 would possibly occur. Yeah, sometimes we forget, right, Matt? Because we see it on TV and we hear about the people who run the lottery once, or maybe even on this show, you talked about people who won it twice, but it's fairly unlikely, right, Matt, that you're going to win the lottery? I mean, the oh. numbers are pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah, it's. I can't remember the exact numbers, but I, th- I think you are like 200 times more likely to get struck by lightning and to die. And does that keep us from going outside? No, like we go about our lives. And if you think about the fact that that also includes the number of folks who don't like going outside, right? So if you do like going outdoors, you're even more likely <laughs> to get struck by lightning and it's just not something that crosses our mind at all but then when you yeah you see people you see the jackpot driving home from the beach recently you, the mega millions or whatever it hasn't been claimed but i guess the powerball has it doesn't even go up it's it just says 999 because it can't get any <laughs> the bigger numbers too they, big <laughs> they haven't even planned for that so when you see that it it creates this ex- you're like oh snap like that is a lot of money you start to think a little bit what you could do with that but obviously the chances are incredibly slim. Yeah, it's almost like the exact opposite of the way my kids feel going to the beach. They, they, they have this irrational fear of sharks. And I try to tell them like with the stats, you're more likely to get smushed by a vending machine than you are to get bitten by a shark <laughs> in the ocean, right? And so they're, that helps put it in perspective a little bit. But we have this irrational belief when we see those numbers, like, oh, that could, 
that could be that could happen to me right and all of the marketing campaigns around lotteries are like you're saying there's a chance it could be you could be your day why not give it a shot and so people are lured into spending you know little amounts of money and and actually i i think you know five bucks here or there not the biggest deal but when you run the numbers i think it's the average if you were to break out how much is spent on lottery tickets overall it's to the tune of something like a thousand dollars per american and you're like, what if every, and granted, some people are spending a whole lot more than that. And some people are spending like, like most of us, relatively little to nothing on lottery tickets. So that means some people are spending a couple grand, a few grand a year on lottery tickets in hopes that they're going to get rich. They're banking on this ridiculously uncertain path as opposed to setting that. And, and I, I get it. Like getting rich quickly sounds nice, but building wealth is the tried and true method to having money, which is is putting those 20 bucks at a time, 50 bucks at a time, putting that money into those retirement accounts. And it 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 starts small like a snowball, but it grows large over time. And so it's easy to think and get excited about seeing that number. Whoo, that's going to be me. But the, the chances that it's going to be you are infinitesimally small. But the thing you have in your control is to put those dollars into something that's passive income you know, building building up in index funds so that you actually will be rich someday. Yeah, I think they I think I've heard some folks talk about this before as to like, why is it that it seems that oftentimes too those who have the least to be able to spend on something like a like a lottery ticket? Why is it that there are a lot of folks doing that? And I heard someone say that, well, it's because for them, literally, that's their only hope, even though it's an incredibly small chance. It provides some sort of hope out of the, the situation that they've found themselves in, unfortunately, as opposed to like what Joel's saying, knowing that there are small steps, even though it, it's, it's not this giant ray of sunlight that you feel like that you can, you know, hit tires, you know, that, that, you, that you can tie yourself to that can pull you forward. There are these small steps that we do have control over. And unfortunately, that doesn't get talked about enough. It's It's obviously a part of why we have our show and why we talk about money to point folks in that direction to to help guide them in that direction but you know when it when it comes to just having a little bit of fun though i personally i agree i, I don't think there's anything inherently evil or wrong with buying a, a lottery ticket here and there but it, it oftentimes does come down to the individual and what kind of financial situation they find themselves in because if you've got five ten bucks to spare and you want to what the heck let's go ahead just give it a shot i personally bought a ticket i guess it was Last year, when one of the jackpots got got really big, a bunch of us were sitting around the pool talking about it, and I was just like, "Oh, why not? Like, what's mm. what's what, like what could it hurt? I'm out five bucks. You get to join in the excitement a little bit. I don't I don't see anything wrong with that." Joel, it's counterintuitive, right? This idea that people who actually don't have a lot end up spending maybe thousands of years, maybe thousands of dollars on lottery tickets in which it's so unlikely that they're going to win. You brought up something that was a little counterintuitive to me on the show, too. You said something to the extent of, I'd rather win a million dollars than a billion dollars. I think you were talking about how much pretty much the jackpots have become. And earlier in this show, you kind of said, start sounding kind of like a headache to win that mm. much money. Why? I mean, this is something people dream about. And here you are saying, mm, maybe that would make my life more complicated. Well, I think Matt disagrees with me on this. And I think Matt <laughs> would take the billion over the million. But and he can he's welcome to explain why. But I think for a lot of people, it's this belief that money is going to solve your problems. And that as much of it as possible, more is better. 
And I, I think when you look at the stats for lottery winners, so many of them file bankruptcy within just a handful of years. Yeah. It's which is crazy to think like, oh, you won half a million dollars. Yeah, I realize the taxes are a lot, but like, come on, man. Like it was just no planning and it was giving into every impulse imaginable. And th it's hard to know who to trust. Are your friends still your friends? Do the people that you love, do they look at you differently? Do they look at you as a vending machine to turn to? So a million dollars to me, it's like, you know, I think the three of us here, we're already there, right? Net worth wise. But like if a million dollars dropped in my lap, it lets me do a little bit more of the things that I love, but I don't want my life to change drastically anyway. It's not like I'm looking for a yacht or a fine automobile that I don't possess. Like I've, I've kept my desires in check and those aren't things I'm excited about anyway. So in my mind, if a billion dollars drops in my lap, everything in my life gets, starts to get questioned. And I'm wondering if everybody is looking at me differently. It's kind of like I heard somebody in Hollywood recently talking about how, I think it was Bill Maher talking about how it because as you get more famous and you have more money, everybody's a yes man and you don't know who to trust. And that's a tough place to be in. And I think if a billion dollars fell into my lap, that's how I would start to look at everybody. I would, I would be concerned that people aren't being honest with me, that they're not my friend because they like who I am. It's because they like being associated with the guy who's got tons of money. And so I think it just comes with more headaches than I would want. And I don't wish a billion dollars on myself or my worst enemy. But maybe you wish it on Matt. If he's going to be, if he's going to share a mill with me, then I'll, yeah, go for it. I Matt, like, you don't, I like, Matt, you don't feel the same way. I, I, maybe I feel comfortable with saying no to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you have your priorities in line and you are making sound decisions with your money, that the ability to basically pour more of your money and especially beyond what it takes to live your day to day life, to be able to pour that excess money towards, charity causes things that you believe in you just think about the kind of impact that millionaires and billionaires that they've had on some of the different organizations the lives that have been saved in all parts of the world i guess that's what i what i think of the ability to to make an impact beyond just like the from a consumption level right if i'm only looking let, let's say that charity didn't exist and that wasn't a thing that you could do yeah a billion dollars seems dumb <laughs> it, <laughs> it seems pretty ridiculous but, you know, I don't, to a certain extent, I do think that ha even having an, an, a million dollar jackpot that could significantly change your life. So the, the reason, though, that it doesn't, I think for so many people, though, is just the fact that there has not been a foundation laid when it comes to handling your money in a responsible way. You, it's like, it's like giving a three-year-old a shotgun or something like that. It's like, well, no, like... You start with a BB gun. When and not for three-year-olds, right? Like a BB gun. That's too early. Yeah, That's too early. Like a BB gun to a 10-year-old. What's going on at your house, man? <laughs> no, right? And then over time, you are able to expand the responsibility to, to, for a kid to, to learn how to handle that kind of money. And I think the same thing, or that kind of tool, I should say, whether it's a gun or even like a buzzsaw or a chainsaw or something like that. And then I think the same thing is true when it comes to money. I'm dialing up children's health services right now. They're coming to your doormat. <laughs> what up, defects? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. So so I guess with that in mind, regardless of how, like whether you're talking about a million or a billion, I, th I think it would be extremely tricky, right? It, it is going to introduce a whole lot of problems. And when you consider too that there's only a few states that allow you to remain anonymous. Like uh, most states require mm -hmm. you to come forward which 
I don't understand that as well. It's it's like a one surefire way to ensure that their their life gets ruined as opposed to the ability. And I, there are some workarounds. I think like some state you can set up like an LLC and have it kind of channel through and stuff like that to try to remain anonymous. They want to use you for their marketing campaigns. I guess know? so. But they come back though in five, 10 years and let's see how they're doing now. <laughs> because that's the true story where there are kids who... You know, families that get wrecked, couples that divorce, kids who end up using drugs. Like these are, these stories are littered throughout the the, the books when it comes to different lottery winners and, and how it has negatively impacted their life. Joe, we hear about this negative impact. I mean, is there something wrong with striking it rich versus building wealth? I mean, ultimately that's what happens, right? When you win the lottery is you're striking it rich. Is that impact you negatively as opposed to doing it the other way? The way you guys talk about on how to money is how to build wealth. It's a different thing. Yeah. I mean, I think there is. I think it, it makes me think of, let's say it, you become famous at the age, like you're a child star. Just talking about Hollywood stars a second ago. Child stardom. Do you know anybody who grows up and lives a completely normal life when they were a childhood star? No. Kelly Culkin seems like a great guy. Yeah, <laughs> Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. Okay. One of so but, but one the of the few that proves the rule, right? Yeah and, yeah. and there's people like that. And I think the same is true with getting rich versus building wealth. And we created a distinction on the show between those two things. And I think quick riches is likely to lead you down a path where you haven't over time developed that, that what Matt's kind of talking about, that yep. internal sense of what matters to you and how to use money to fuel the things that you care about, right? In your life. And, and so I think that quick riches is likely going to lead to confusion. You're going to be figuring things out on the fly while you're spending, while you're making mistakes. But if you're building wealth, it's like that slowly but surely, oh, I've got a little more wiggle room in my budget now. Oh, guess what? I've gotten to the point where I have a little more, I'm, I'm further along the financial independence spectrum and I can I have more choices at my disposal. And it's it's like someone then becoming famous at 45 or 50 for some of the things that they've been working on for decades. And it's a it's a completely different situation that they're in versus someone who's famous signing autographs at 15, 16, right? And and so that's where I think the building wealth is one, it's more achievable and it's more it's the way most people are going to get wealthy. It's it's the way most people are gonna have money. Getting rich is unlikely and it, for most people, getting rich quickly. And if you pursue that, you're actually likely going to end up having less money because you're gonna be striking, trying all these opportunities that to to make a huge return on your money, many of which don't pan out. But at the same time, it it might not be the best thing anyway from a psychological perspective either. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's not satisfying, right? Like it makes me think about running a race, and what if you could just show up at the end of the race at the finish line, and, and here in the in Atlanta, it's the peach tree. Like everybody wants to be able to get the the, the peach tree road race finishers T shirt. But you don't get that until you run through the literal finish line and they hand it to you right there. But what if you could? What if you snuck on and just kind of like jog through, grabbed yourself the T-shirt? Like how unsatisfying would that be as opposed to actually having run the race, actually having trained for the race leading up to that? It's the the struggle, the like acquiring the ability to run the race, acquiring the the wealth, laying that foundation I think folks underestimate the amount of satisfaction that comes from the process. And oftentimes folks are just trying to hit the easy button. They want the game genie. They're trying to jump to the end, take any shortcut they can, 
without realizing that truly that's not going to provide them the, the satisfaction that they're actually looking for. Matt, I want to push you on this thing, because basically what we're talking about is it's a lot more gratifying to build wealth than it is to strike it rich. Why then the mind exercise of saying, what if I won the lottery? Why does that serve us if we clearly are saying here that striking it rich is probably not the most healthy way to go about it? Yeah, well, I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier, but I think individuals will find themselves with money that they were not expecting. And so the ability to have mentally thought through and kind of done the gymnastics of like, okay, if we were to get an extra 10K, where would that go? We talk on the show here about the money gears and how there's sort of this order that we want folks to think through as to what it is that they should be doing with their money. Where are you within the money gears? Do you have an emergency fund? Do you have a large amount of outstanding high interest rate debt? Do you Are you investing your money? These are things that are helpful to allow you to know what it is you should be doing with your money next. And so it's. I think it's helpful in that way. But I think in, it can also be helpful to be able to, for folks to be able to kind of maybe do some introspection and to think through well, what is it that would actually allow me to be happy, not only when the if and when I do receive a large sum of money, but even here and now before I have that money. Because oftentimes I think folks having large amounts of money, it's, it's, it's lazy, right? And people think, oh, if, if, if I had that much money, of course, I'd be happy. It's, it's, it's an excuse, maybe for unhappiness, because they think, well, I'm not, I'm not like that guy. I'm not loaded. I don't have the ability to travel there. I'm not driving this, as opposed to thinking through, okay, what would actually make me happy? And so, I mean, you talk about, you know, you talked about this in your book, but the ability to identify what it is, that is going to provide you purpose? Like, how are you connected to the people around you? How is it that you actually find your your identity by sitting down and thinking through, okay, how do those things all apply to my life? In what way can I seek some sort of a level of happiness without money can, I think, ensure that once you do have money on hand, that you will continue to, to, to live a fulfilling and happy life. Yeah. I mean, I think the goal too is hopefully for a person to say that an extra million landing in my bank accounts, not because I've got so much, it I barely even notice it, <laughs> not because I've got millions already. And boy, this is just a drop in the bucket of my overall wealth. But to say that I am so content with the way my life looks, feels, and with the the kind of goalposts that I've put up, what me- how I measure success in my life, that that million dollars isn't going to change my life in the ways that I think it will. And I think there's this daydream sort of mentality that a lot of people have. And it's like, think about all the stuff I could do if this, if I got this sort of windfall. Well, but is that what you really want? And how is that going to impact your life? And so I think that's what we have this fantasy in our country of, and the commercials bear it out. And the, the amount of the amount of money spent on lottery tickets proves it too that we want this radical life change. And it shows, I think it reveals something that we're not, a whole bunch of people are not terribly satisfied with their life they're living. And I think if you were to ask me at 22, would a million dollars change my life? Sure, it would. It would change it differently than it would now. But the goal is over time to, as you're, as you're creating the life you want, where a million dollars, yeah, maybe it accentuates, it allows you to turn up the dial on some of the things you have said, I care about, I want to do more of this, but hopefully it doesn't, and it wouldn't change the whole trajectory of your life or change your wants and desires. Those are things that should be internally derived. And if a million dollars is going to change that, 
then there's more internal work. Like we we talk about the the money mission statement that we that we've that we talked about in that episode, and how if you can do some deep work, some introspective work, it'll help you re, you you think through well, what is it that I want my money to do in my life? And I think hopefully, hopefully for most people, as they get mature in that, a million dollars, yeah, it can accentuate some of the things you love, but it's not going to be this like life-changing thing where you're going to go buy a red sports car, have a midlife crisis and you know leave your family, right? Stuff like that. So I, I guess that's what people think is like, it's going to be this massive switch. I, I was poor. Now I'm rich. My life's going to look completely different. And I'm, I think what we're saying is like, we don't, we don't desire that. We don't want that. Matt, on the episode you guys did, you came to similar conclusions, right? This idea that hopefully the money wouldn't change your life fundamentally because you're already working on those things as it was. But to channel Ramit Sethi, this idea of turning up the dials on those things that are important to you, you guys actually did this exercise of what would happen if I won the lottery. Matt, tell us about what dials you would turn up. Mm, Yeah, so just buy more and more craft beer. We, that's it. <laughs> that's what we talk about here on the show. Your liver thanks you already. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, so again, like Joel was saying, a, a ton wouldn't change, but the ability to, like you like you're saying too, to just kind of ramp up the spending in the areas that mean the most to you, that bring you the most happiness. And I think that is, is it slowly kind of changed over time for me as well. Cause I think about where I would like to spend more money and it's, it, it, it honestly kind of comes down to the kids, right? Like right now, uh, we've got three out of four kids are in school, which means that the school year, right? So August to May, it's pretty set. <laughs> we know where we're going to be Monday through Friday. It's pretty orderly. And that's that's a good thing. After school activities, different things going on, studying, tests, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the summer, man, that's a period of time where, especially as the kids get older, Jordan, you've got a, a son going off to college. Like I'm starting to look ahead and I realize that like, man, we, we, I've got like nine or nine or 10 more summers ahead where I have the ability to create memories with, with my oldest daughter, same with Joel, before those girls are off to, off to college. And so thinking through just some of the different experiences that we would be able to expose them to in order to create kids that are well-formed adults by the time that they leave, right? Whether that's through... Okay, you're interested in this kind of camp? Well, now that we've got $10 million, okay, maybe we're not thinking about the fact that it costs $5,000 for 10 days, which I'm like, there are camps that cost that much. It blows my mind and I'm not going to do that. But that's something where I'm like, okay, maybe I would do that. The ability to pour into our, our kids in the here and now, I think is one immediate way that I can think of spending additional money that, that I, I wouldn't. Or that I don't already have on hand, and truly spending it because I'll I'll say, I've like I mentioned this on the show our show recently. I guess I, I just finished reading Fortune's Children, which chronicles the Vanderbilts, the Cornelius Vanderbilt, the, the patriarch, and how he amassed his fortune and just the massive fortune that continued to to be passed down to to generation after generation. And it was his son or or one of his grandsons, and he literally pointed out in his later years that how inherited wealth is a real barrier to happiness. And he he equated inherited wealth. He called it basically, it's as much of a death to, I guess, productivity as cocaine is to like a virtuous life, basically, mm-hmm. and highlighted the fact that 
man, you are because sort of like we we're saying before, like when you remove the process, when you remove the striving and the hard work that that brings so much of that happiness, that even makes me start to question and to wonder how much money do I even want to leave to my kids? Because that kind of seems like the virtuous path, right? Yeah. Like that kind of seems like the thing that you're supposed to do with your money. Oh, we should leave it, leave it to the kids. To push but, for to create and accrue generational wealth. Generational right? wealth, yeah. exactly. But I'm I'm starting to rethink that a little bit because do, do I want to be wise? Do I want to have enough that I could pass along more? Absolutely. But when you re- remove that incentive for them to go out there and to be the, to, for them to be who they are, I think you remove so much of the happiness that life can bring as folks are trying to be to be smart with their money. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the studies, second generation immigrants seem to be the happiest and most productive people in America. <laughs> and there's something about that, seeing the struggle of your parents and not being too far removed from that. I'm kind of a third generation immigrant here. And I even see more entitlement in myself than I would like, right? Trying to like I don't want that. And and I see in my kids, what is it like as life is more comfortable, as we have more money, how do we disincentivize and work towards our kids having this hunger to build something, to create something, to yeah. to sap the marrow out of life or whatever. And 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 I think it becomes more difficult the more money you have. And I think, yeah, that's a that I love Matt, what you alluded to with that that book and how it's we this thing that we want is not in the end, it's almost like a bitter pill and it doesn't provide the the happiness or the the meaning that we wanted from life. And it is, it's it, it's all those mundane things that happen in your everyday life. It's why I was just walking down the street and you know, a lot of personal finance experts will say, don't go get that local co- that coffee at your coffee shop because that's gonna you know prevent you from being a millionaire. That's completely overdone advice. And, you know, there, there's a, an inkling of truth to that, but I had this like 15 minute talk with a neighbor and it was joyous this morning. And it, and it just made me so happy. And, and those are the kind of things like if you have enough money in the bank account to where you're building wealth, but you can also afford to spend on little splurges like that and run into your neighbors. Like those are the, those are the things that matter in life. A billion dollars is, is probably going to lead to more unhappiness actually in, in the end. We're talking to Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix. They're not only best friends, but also the hosts of the How Do Money podcast. And we're talking about running the thought experiment of asking yourself, what if I run the lottery? We are going to come back in a few minutes to discuss the five things you need to do if you come into a windfall or win the lottery. But first, we're going to take a break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. 
Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college. And everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window The main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances and our budget has changed, but we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel. And we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like We were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids' college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer-focused. Really, Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are back with Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix from the How to Money podcast. We are talking about what if you won the lottery, running that thought experiment. And in a moment, we're going to discuss the five things that Joel and Matt say you should do, whether you win the lottery or just come into a windfall. That could be an extra bonus. It could be an inheritance. It could be a return from your taxes. Any of these things could be looked at as a windfall. But before we do, Joel, you know, it hits me when I was thinking about my goal net worth. And I was thinking about getting to financial independence. The minute I got there, instead of feeling great about it, I started looking around at other people around me and my number was less than theirs and it didn't feel as good. It's this whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Why does coming into a windfall not necessarily solve that issue? Yeah. I mean, it was Teddy Roosevelt who said, comparison is the thief of joy. And Mm -hmm. I think that is so true. But it is more difficult to stop comparing yourself to others than it's ever been before. We are people's lifestyle choices are thrust in front of our faces. Our friends are going on epic vacations that we're not going on. What you don't see under the surface is that maybe that's going on credit cards that they can't pay off at the end of the month. And or (laughs) there's even been articles written about influencers taking selfies on like a private plane. They're literally paying to go on there and take a picture and then go right off. They're not actually traveling anywhere on that, but it's a way to kind of make it seem like they're successful or something like that. And so we only see the snapshot. We don't see the underlying reality. And you you see that too with with wealthy people. Some, Some of the wealthiest people in the world are some of the unhappiest. And 
It's because once you get to a certain level, oh, I've got $100 million, which is a ton of money. It's a, it's a number I can't even fathom. It, then they, they say, oh, this was the goal I always had. But then I got there and I looked around and I'm like, now I'm living in a fancier neighborhood, but my next door neighbor, he's got $400 million and he's going on, he's hopping on his yacht every other weekend. And I'm just not yacht level wealthy. And so <laughs> comparison continues to fester, continues to be a problem, no matter what wealth level you get to. And so that's, again, that's something internal that needs to be, that needs to be worked on. It's something you have to kind of actively run away from. It's hard to do, but it's one of those things where more money isn't going to fix it. You'll still find yourself co- comparing now your new cohort and say, how do I fit in now amongst this group of people? And if, if money is the measuring stick, you're always going to be left wanting. So I want to get to tactical, Matt. In the show, How to Money, where you discuss this exact question, running that experiment of thinking about what would happen if you won the lottery, you guys give some general advice. You talk about the wealth gears. You talk about the personal mission statement and how those things can help protect you. But in the second half of the show, you get really tactical and you talk about five things that we can do if we happen to come into a windfall or win the lottery. And I want to run through those. The first, Matt, is remain anonymous. We touched on this a little bit before, but why is that it's so important? Yeah, well, so it's, I, I say why it's not important. It's not because we want you to hoard your money and for it to be the secretive thing, because I think a lot of times that can lead to even more unhealth, right? But it does have to do with the people around you. And everybody that you come in contact with is going to have an opinion as to what it is that you should be doing with that money. And I think that can be whether it's to a good cause or as to how it is that you should spend the money on yourself. And so I think the ability for you to decide what you're going to do with that money is really important. And that's a lot easier to do if people don't know you actually have that money. <laughs> and if, again, this is not possible when you're talking about the lottery in, in, in a lot of different states, but an inheritance or a bonus at work, these aren't things that necessarily have to be public knowledge. And so the ability to just kind of keep that under wraps a little bit while, while you are maybe doing some of that harder work and thinking through, okay, not like, okay, what's next? Like, how is it that I can spend this money? How is it that I can invest this money? How, how, how can I give it away? What ways, what levers can I pull that that's going to lead to the most happiness for, for myself? But it makes me think of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. <laughs> this, is, this is maybe last year when there are, I guess they're always in the news. But I, I actually have a, a degree of, of sympathy, especially for Harry, right? So those who are in the spotlight and where you know that there's a certain amount of wealth because you don't know. And Joel, you kind of just, I think you touched on this earlier, but like you don't know who your friends are. Like you truly are never going to know as to why are you talking to me? Like, like, is this relationship because of, you know, who I am and what I have influence over or how much money I have? Or like, are you generally transactional basically? Yes. Yeah. Or, or are you generally interested in me as a, as a person? It's something. Yeah. I don't know. Watching, even watching soccer, a little watching Messi. the fact that him, like, I guess he was a soccer star maybe after him and his longtime girlfriend got married or whatever, but like they knew each other in high school, which feels so wholesome as opposed to him becoming the goat, the greatest of all time soccer player, like with contracts of you know billions of dollars. And now somebody's interested <laughs> in getting to know you. 
it's difficult from a from an interpersonal relationship level when people know that you have a whole lot of money. So I think there's, there can be a lot of wisdom in trying to keeping things under wraps. Joel, the first thing that I would do, of course, is buy the big new house and and <laughs> and fast car. Yet the second thing you guys say we should do is slowly increase spending in just a few areas. What do you have against my big house and fast car, Joel? Listen, I want you to be the happiest version of you that you can be. I just don't think that the new house is going to do it for you, man. And, <laughs> and you know, even the new stuff that we buy, it breaks down. It needs to be maintained. And so it seems like that's, oh, yeah, let me go out and make the big splurge. But I think when you have identified a few areas where, hey, this is where I intentionally spend money. And that's what we talk about. Yeah, it might seem goofy, but the craft beer equivalent. Matt and I do spend a ridiculous amount on craft beer, like not not necessarily in volume, but in just the fancier, better version, like a $25 bottle, which most people would say is ridiculous. And and so like we would buy, you know, nicer craft beer, not necessarily a ton more. But if you've identified some of those areas, a couple other areas for me, like sounds weird, but folk art, like I love this specific kind of art. And so I've been buying one piece a year for Emily and I have for 13 years. We get something on every anniversary and occasionally we'll pick up another piece here and there. But we know that that's something that we care about. And so we would, boom, we would ramp up and we would probably buy some pieces that we weren't able to afford before then from artists that we really like, or maybe even just more frequently purchase those things. I think if you kind of have already identified some of those things that move the needle for you from a, from an ROI perspective, hey, when I, when I spend in this way, it brings a lot of personal satisfaction. It's really easy to say, hey, all this money landed in my lap. Boom. Let me start like spending it in really cool ways that most people would. No, no, no. Find out the ways that it's going to to help move the needle for you, make you happy, as opposed to doing the thing that everyone else would do when they get more money in their lap. And that is the car, the house, the sort of thing, or the the super fancy vacation. And maybe that is something that moves the needle for you. I would probably take slightly nicer vacations. But I think if you slowly increase that spending, you can kind of test the waters and see, well, where is it? That, that actually makes me, that brings me more joy as opposed to throwing a bunch of money in a direction and being like, oh, that didn't work. What next? Matt, it seems like the third thing you guys suggest maybe almost slightly contradicts the second thing you suggested. The second thing, as we said, was to spend slowly, slowly increase spending on just a few things. But the third thing you suggest is to let out that pressure valve to splurge yeah. 10% on something. Why did you feel like that was necessary as one of those steps we should think about? Well, we feel it's always important to provide conflicting information on our podcast. <laughs> so anything we can do to contradict ourselves, we're going to we're going to jump at. But well, in a way that th- these these two things are more related than you think, right? Because by slowly increasing your spending, that is a mechanism that keeps you from breaking like it's sh- like to keep it from like shutting down completely it makes me think of like a brand new car and you probably don't want to like start it up and the first thing you do is like <laughs> just floor it i don't know i don't know anything about cars but like easing into things is a good way to keep you from breaking them and so by slowly increasing your spending that's a mechanism that helps to keep things in check the splurge i think can also do the same thing because if we were robots we would say sure then follow the money gears and you can dump the money into the different buckets that you know you need to address unfortunately well or i should say 
actually. Fortunately, we are not robots and we have emotions and that can be really difficult to do for a lot of folks. And so the ability to provide a pressure relief valve, say of 10% of the windfall towards something that you want to splurge on can help you to, with that remaining 90%, do the right thing. It's, it's, it's the same reason that we say that, okay, we're not going to recommend, we're not going to promote single stock investing. We're not going to encourage you to invest in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. But if you want to take 5% of your overall investing dollars and dabble a little bit, if you want to scratch that ish, and if that allows you to stay on the right path with the the remainder of your investing dollars, then I think that's a worthwhile thing. Could that technically, could that money be invested in a more surefire way? Absolutely. Same thing with the windfall. Could that money be put towards things that would actually move the wealth needle a little bit more? Sure. But for how long, right? Because so much of the, I feel like what we discuss ignores time frame. And the we're, we're talking about keep maintaining wealth and hanging on to your money over the long haul. So yeah, sure. Maybe for the next year, you might be able to do the right things if a million bucks landed in your lap. But if you aren't touching any of that at all, maybe by year two, you just throw in the towel and you say, screw it. We're, <laughs> we're, we are going to buy the, the, the mansion on the lake and we are going to get a private jet. And before you know it, you've blown through all of that money. Yeah, it's, it's basic psychology, I think, in a lot of ways is to say, if, you, if you're forced to do the boring thing with all of it, like boring index fund investing or something, which is the best way for you know, almost everyone, normal people, Unless you're a you know, congressperson with inside information, <laughs> then maybe you should be trading stocks <laughs> and getting rich, even though that should be against the law. But the most people, it they that pressure release valve helps them do the right thing. And so I think, yeah, that that it's just kind of addressing that psychological need to say, okay, I just a million dollars landed in my lap. I can't do anything fun with it. And, and that that I think would lead to more problems over time than allowing a little bit of leeway. Joe. What I feel now is I feel a little bit of relief because what you're really telling me is that if I just win a big enough lottery, I can buy that really expensive house. That's true. But then I get to your fourth piece of advice, which just throws it all back in the dumpster. (laughs) Because if I buy the big expensive house, I'm going to have a big expensive tax bill. And if I live in a nicer neighborhood, I'm going to have to join the club. And if I join the club, I'm going to have to buy a nicer (laughs) car. So thing four is to pay attention to the secondary costs of purchases. This actually did blow my mind a little bit because I didn't think much about it. But purchasing one thing can lead to higher costs long term in many things. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of people refer to it as the Diderot effect because there was this like 17th century French philosopher. He ends up getting he's like middle age or something is in his 50s. He gets this this fancy new robe and he lived in kind of squalor for most of his life. And this one fancy gift led him to rethink everything he owned. He's like, everything has to be upgraded now. And that is also a psychological reality that most of us face is, OK, I bought the new house. But well, one, it comes with hard secondary costs of legitimate higher tax bills. Right. And more maintenance that you're going to have to, if you have a, a, a go from a 1000 square foot house to a 10,000 square foot house, there's a, it's just a lot more expense, more heating, cooling, things to repair, all that kind of stuff. But there are also softer secondary costs where it's like, 
Well, now I'm the person who lives in the neighborhood that has a 10,000 square foot house. And so everybody around me is spending money in ways that I hadn't even thought of or dreamed of before. But now, well, I feel like I got to partake. And and I was more of a disc golf player before, but now I got to be one of those fancy golfers wearing the preppy shirts and now I'm going to play stuff. real golf, right? <laughs> with the expensive green fees and all the stuff that comes <laughs> along with that. And so you, you have to be thoughtful on the front end say, well, how much is this purchase actually going to cost me? Not just even in terms of how much does the, the interest rate on it, how much does that add to the overall cost? Although that's part of it, but it's all of those other things, those ancillary things that maybe you're not thinking about in the here and now. And I think that. I think that is a large part of what happens to those lottery winners. It's a domino effect. And it's the first thing. And then it's like, but then there's 15 other things you weren't anticipating that you were going to have to spend money on because you made that one purchase. And and that, that that's what leads to, I think, the bankruptcy and the financial ruin of so many of those people who were thrilled to get that windfall. And then it's so quickly spent because just a couple of purchases can result in dozens of other purchases. And boom, all of a sudden, that money's gone. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to refer back to the the Vanderbilts, right? So Fortune's Children book. They like this is how they went bankrupt, right? And so you had generation after generation of these grandchildren and great grandchildren of Cornelius Vanderbilt, and they subscribed to this lifestyle. They're basically the, the American royalty during the Gilded Age, and they had these great houses. I'm talking like houses that were on entire blocks on Fifth Avenue in in New York, and with these great houses. It also required the great decor that you that needed to go along with it. I mean, like literally these like shopping sprees in Europe as they went through flea markets of like of, from like French and Italian like chateaus and, and stuff like that. But and it requires 40 people to be employed in order to properly run run a house. And not a single one of those mansions on Fifth Avenue exists today. It's something that you have to, to keep in mind. Like there are some of these hard costs, but then Joel is also talking about the softer softer secondary costs. And <laughs> we're talking about houses. And we recently rented a nice beach house, my, our families together. And I think this is one of the things, and I kind of, ex- we recorded a, a, an episode with our wives while we were at the at the beach. And I expressed my hesitancy, my insured, like, and I think this is a, a part of what it is that's kind of eating at me a little bit is because you expose yourself you get to enjoy the trappings of this nice house. Like this is a house, Doc G. It mm-hmm. had a Viking stove. No, oh, yeah. I'm telling. So that yeah. g- that gives you a, that gives you a feel of the the level of this house. I will tell you what, and, and was, a Sub Zero. Did they have a Sub Zero too? They yeah. They, they just got the they got the whole kit. So it was a Viking yeah. fridge yeah. and freezer. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it was very very nice. And you you know we walk up from the beach and you see our old minivans parked in front of this really nice house and all around you there's like nice suvs with blacked out windows and all this and and you start to think oh man looks kind of silly having having these old used honda odysseys (laughs) parked out front but then you start to think through in the future or even your own home i start to think oh maybe we need one of these one of these bigger stoves with a griddle built in that's nice (laughs) maybe maybe we need to always go to vacation prop- beach properties that that are this nice so it, it kind of changes what you consider to to be good enough and it's it's just hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube yeah. once you've experienced it it's faced with a hard reality of not being able to i think a lot of folks would be like yeah of course we're not going to go into debt because blah 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 but there's a lot of folks who would and beyond that 
even if you weren't faced with the hard realities of not having the funds to do that, there is still going to be a temptation, I think, to continue down the path, maybe of bigger and nicer things, whatever it might be. We just happen to be talking about homes. To recap, we are talking about the five things to do if you win the lottery or come into a windfall. The first was to remain anonymous. The second, to increase spending slowly on a few areas. The third was to let out the pressure valve and splurge on 10%. The fourth is to pay attention to the secondary costs of purchases. And the fifth, which we're not going to talk about today, but is to remember taxes. The tax man always gets their share. And if you win money or come into a windfall, you may have to take a portion of that and give it to the government. I'm listening to all these, Joel, and I'm starting to think, what are you trying to tell me? Money doesn't buy happiness. Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) That is a potentially good thing to take away from this conversation, (laughs) Jordan. I would say, yeah, it. of course, we all know that a certain amount of money can add enjoyment to your life and it can help you to afford some some things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to and 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 lots of times it's the time that you can buy back right it's the fact that maybe you can work a little bit less and you can go out for a jog whenever you want or hop on your bike or spend more time with a neighbor or buy beers for your friends which is such a cool thing to be able to to be able to do is to splurge on the people you care about the most but typically those are those are small things i'm talking about that don't cost a lot of money. And so winning the billion, you don't need that to be able to enjoy more of those things. And that's, we had another episode that we, I think I referenced earlier, but financial independence is on a spectrum. And the more you can think of it as a spectrum versus an all or nothing sort of thing, the more you're going to be able to incorporate some of those elements of being more financially independent along the way. That's what we want to push people towards. It's not this thing where, okay, now you got $5 million in the bank. Now you can start living the life you want. You got to start formulating it along the way. And hopefully that means that if a giant sum of money drops in your lap, it's it's not going to to change your life drastically because you've been incorporating those things that you care about all along the way. And does it dial that up a little bit? Does it allow you to be more generous? That's awesome. Does it allow you a little bit more freedom on the time side? Allow you maybe to not have to mow the lawn anymore because gosh, you hate doing that every Saturday? Cool. Those are great things that money can buy. But most of the time when we're talking about giant lump sums, I think it's going to be, it's actually going to decrease your happiness level. And so you want to find that sweet spot. And the sweet spot is usually come, you you come across it slowly, but surely over time by doing those, incorporating those habits, saving and investing wisely, paying down that debt and, you know, the, the multi-million dollar goals, hopes, and dreams. When you, if you do a little bit of self-search, you might realize that the results wouldn't be, you know, exactly what you hoped for or what you thought they would be either. Well, Joel and Matt, I wanted to thank you for coming on this show today. You pushed us to do the thought experiment of asking ourselves what would happen if we won the lottery today. And as I listened to you, I realized that Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix, if they won the lottery today, would spend their time creating podcasts about personal finances and drinking beer. And indeed, that's what they're doing, whether they win that money or not. I want to thank you for coming on the show and end the way I end every show by asking you what is coming up next and how can people reach out to you? So Joel, first and foremost, what is coming up on the How to Money podcast? So lots of stuff. I mean, man, there's so many 
changes. We're going to talk about kind of what's happening with student loans. Of course, that is a, a massive thing impacting so many people. Those payments set to resume in October. So if you're kind of looking for timely financial information alongside some timeless advice, that's what we do every week on the How to Money podcast. And don't forget to sign up for the How to Money newsletter. We've been doing it for a year now, and it is you know, to toot our own horn. It's, it's, it's fun and informative at the same time. You can find that at howtomoney.com slash newsletter. And Matt, if people want to reach out, is the best way just to go to the website? That's right. They can head to the website, howtomoney.com. You can find us on all the different socials as How to Money Pod. And we're going to, what you said is so true. We're going to be over here as our net worth continues to increase. I don't see anything keeping us from continuing to create these podcasts and doing something that we love uh, because we've identified that this provides us joy and satisfaction, happiness. Would we change what it is that we spend our additional dollars on? Probably we would ramp up that, you know, the spending in those areas. But yeah, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing. Jordan, we really appreciate you having us on the podcast today. Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix, thank you for coming on Earn and Invest. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. In this episode, Matt and Joel push us to imagine what life would be like if we won the lottery. The reason why I decided to have this discussion is because in my book, Taking Stock, I do a very similar exercise, except I call it the reverse lottery test. And it's really very simple. Imagine you wake up one morning, you turn on the TV and found out that the Mega Billions lottery number matched your ticket. Gleefully, you run to the store, you cash in, and you are free. You go out to the pub and celebrate with your friends. This is the most wonderful thing ever. But after a few days of partying, you then have a chance to look at your life. What would I get rid of? Would I get rid of my job? What would I stop doing? And then additionally, what would I add in? Would I get a bigger house, a bigger car? What are the things that my life is lacking? And where are the places where my life is overrun with activities that don't bring me joy or that cause me dread? This is a great exercise. And after doing this, what I want you to do is go to your computer or your phone and pull up your daily planner or scheduler And take a look at what fills up your days. Let's look at the last week or the last month. Look at all those activities. And I want you to go through each and every single one of them and ask yourself the question, if I won the Mega Billions lottery, would I still be doing this activity? Basically, this is the art of subtraction, right? If money wasn't an issue, what would I subtract from my life? And I want you to contemplate that schedule, not only which specific activities, but I want to look at what percentage of the activities you spend your day doing that aren't fulfilling or you wouldn't do if you had enough money. This can be really, really eye-opening. It can make you question what you're doing just because you're going through the process, running through the cycle, living out your life without thinking, versus what are those things that you do every day that you actually really enjoy and want to do? 
And of course, the next question is, now that you've looked at your schedule and you've pinpointed those things you don't like doing or that you'd get rid of if you won the lottery, do you have to wait to win the lottery to do that? Can you start transitioning now? Are there some of these things that you can start subtracting out of your life and adding in newer and better things? Some of this will have to do with money, right? Sometimes we do things like go to work because we have to make money, so those might take a little longer to subtract out. But sometimes these are even non-monetary things that we do because we feel like we have to, because we promised someone we would do them, or because we didn't have the courage to say no to something that we truly didn't want to do. If you're looking at your schedule, if you did this reverse lottery test and see that you're engaged in a lot of activities that you'd rather not be doing, this can really signal that it's time to make a change in your life. Now, We use the lottery because it's such a large amount of money that it makes it clear, but we're really talking about also what you would do if you're financially independent, right? If your net worth was high enough, your passive income streams were high enough, how could you step away from those things you don't like doing? It's really the same process. The only thing, again, I'd like to add, and the same with financial independence, is why are we waiting to financial independence to design the lives we want to live today? And I get it. Everyone says, yes, but money, money is such a great tool that it allows us to free ourselves from things we don't like doing. But don't forget that we have other tools too. We have our passions, our excitement, our communities, our youth, our energy. We have all sorts of different tools that we can try to use to start subtracting those things out of our schedule today. The other thing is we have the ability to slow down our path to financial independence knowing that it may take longer to quote-unquote retire, but start living the life we want to live today and realize that our trajectory may just be longer, right? This is the idea of slow-fi and coast-fi, these types of financial independence where you slow down sooner, you design the life you want, and realize that you won't hit that magical net worth number for a greater number of years, but you're going to enjoy your life more now. It all comes down to the fact all of these exercises, mind exercises we're doing, the idea of having unlimited money is really to free you from the idea that money is what's holding you back. Because when you start to realize that money is just one tool of many, you can start living the life you want to live today. And all of a sudden you start feeling like you already won the lottery, not the mega billions But the lottery of life, you start living how you truly want to live. Awesome. As you guys know, I leave things going for the after show. Yeah, I thought about let his hair down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he can he can say what he really thinks now. Finally, (laughs) (laughs) we can see who he really is. The lottery question is is a, a timeless exercise, and yeah. I've definitely done it many times in my own life. I talk about it a little bit in my book, too. I think it's so easy and yet so valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think people, if you were to ask somebody and just get their like, off-the-cuff remark, you would get one answer. And then you say, well, think about that a little longer. And the more you take the time to kind of delve down and do some of that introspection, like, well, what would 
I actually want to do and what would make me happy and what changes would I want to make to my life, you'll probably realize you can make some of those changes without winning the lottery. And so when you write down those things that matter to you, a little more time. I want to be there for my my kids' events. I want to make sure they can, you know, whatever it is, like a lot of that lifestyle design doesn't take a ridiculous sum of money falling into your lap to pull off. And and so that that knee-jerk response is going to be one thing. It's like, oh, I'd buy this and I'd buy that and I'd go crazy. And then the the more thoughtful answer that people usually will come to after a little bit longer, it's like, well, actually, I'd probably, I'd want to do this, this, and this. And man, I don't really like my boss and I'd probably dial back at work or I'd go find something else altogether. And then it's like, well, do, do you have to have $10 million in order to pull that off? Or is that something that you can be working towards now? And so, yeah, I think that it's a really helpful exercise for people to people to do. You know, it's funny because the lottery exercise makes you ask the question, what would I do with unlimited money? You guys brought up in your episode, and I obviously think about this a lot too. What if we change that and say, what if we didn't have much time? And so, right, then the question becomes, what would I do if I found out I was going to die in a year or six months? When you guys talked about that too, but it's kind of the same effect. One is talking about money. One is talking about time. But I feel like it gets us to the same place. Yeah, it, it, it certainly condenses that timeline, right? And so if, mm-hmm. for instance, your goal is to be able to like, oh, I would travel more over the next 20, 30 years. If that's a massive goal of yours, I could imagine if you were given six months to live, you might want to squeeze <laughs> a bit more travel into the remaining six months than you would than you would otherwise. But it helps. Yeah, it helps helps you to distill what it is that matters. And if it's you know, whether it's quality time with family, pouring into, you know, family and friends. But uh, yeah, yeah. The the time portion of the equation is it's it's always an interesting one because that's I think a lot of times, when, you know, when there when there are disagreements, it's a it's not a disagreement over when it comes to like financial advice, per se. It's a disagreement as to what timeline you have in mind and how it is that that folks are choosing to invest their money or spend it. It oftentimes comes down to folks talking about different timelines, but yeah. Well, and how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Right. And so many of our days are, we're working for the weekend or we've got this hopes of a massive chunk of riches that'll allow us to live the life we want. But the truth is that if we're thinking of time as the most important, most finite resource, which it is, then it can help us to rework rework our daily lives in such a way that it's the life we want to be living now. It's not that we're hoping for the future of being able to live a life that's awesome. It's we we have the power to make some of those changes. And again, yes, money I think can help us dial that in, but it it's not the answer to our ability to do that. There's we have more power no matter our income in the here and now. By, I mean, when you think about 70% of the US economy being based around consumer spending. And I was just thinking today, I literally just saw an ad and it said, buy more, save more. And these are the marketing messages were sold. It's like the more you buy, the more you save. And it's like, no, actually, the less you buy, the more you save. And, but we buy, we buy into this stuff. We get the, we get these things. They end up collecting dust in a corner or we end up not appreciating that item as much as we thought, but we're still doing the consumption thing. If we dial back on that, we have more financial wherewithal to make the decisions, the bigger decisions that impact our daily life, which likely might mean, you know, getting a job that pays a little bit less, but it's closer yeah. to home and I like yeah. it more. And my boss rocks and I'm, I'm mission oriented in this place, as opposed to being like, I need this $150,000 a year job. If, if I take the lesser paying one, 
then I can't live the lifestyle I want. But but, but what is the lifestyle you want? And yeah. and so yeah. well, that's the and that's the problem with the lottery is that it shortcuts it it skips over the discipline that takes place when you start asking those questions out of necessity because oftentimes we don't have unlimited funds and so we have to start prioritizing and figuring out what it is that we do truly want to strive after. What is our actual mission going to be? It's it's not that having millions in the bank is inherently a bad thing, but how you arrive at that large sum of money, that's problematic, right? So the the big windfall, the lottery, the fact that the, like the process matters so much. And oftentimes, as you are acquiring wealth, you learn the lessons you are able to distill down as to what it is you want to focus on. But when you haven't done that work, and then you're just handed this massive sack of cash, like you're you're able just to make some massive mistakes and potentially you yeah. can you can wreck your life mm-hmm. that's the that's the biggest downside to actually winning the lottery and i think we don't often see it in the moment if someone told us no you won't be happier if you win the lottery <laughs> like, what are you talking about but it makes me think back to high school when i bought my first car and i worked at the chick-fil-a across the street from the high school i saved up my first car was was it twenty eight hundred dollars i think it was like twenty two twenty eight hundred dollars toyota 1989 toyota corolla and i saw my friends driving nicer cars, their parents buying them the nicer cars. And I was like, man, sure wish I came from a family where my parents bought me a car. I look back though. And I'm like, so glad that I had to buy my own vehicle and that I, that little manual transmission plunker Toyota was so good. so much better for me from a, a personal, you know, building, building me into the person I've become. If I had gotten handed that car, I wouldn't have appreciated it nearly the same way. And I think that's think that's true when we're when we're just handed things and don't have to earn them then they 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 matter less i mean that's what they it's the same thing about like tv and movies now it's like it's ubiquitous you can watch whatever you want whenever you want to watch it and so even the greatest things we just we admire them less we don't care about them less they're less of a they're they're a quick blip on the cultural phenomenon and i think the same is true when we're when we're given something when it's when it comes easy then when it comes hard yeah. And so, Jordan, I know we're going long, but I've got a question for you. Sure. Having an 18 year old uh, mm-hmm. for you know you, and then us, we've got 10 year olds. Uh, do you wish that you would have spent your money, that you would have spent your time differently uh, over the past eight years? So I was lucky in the sense that when I started looking into my finances, I realized I could pull back from work and therefore be available a lot more as the kids were in middle school and high school. So I think I would have felt real remorse if I hadn't done that. Right. So I was, I ran my own practice and I was physically present a lot. Like I found ways to be there for all the important stuff and to be very physically present for the kids. But I was constantly being interrupted by phone calls and texts and pages. And so I wasn't always 100% emotionally present. So mm-hmm. I definitely, if I hadn't made that change, I think I would have regretted being so hardcore on my job to make that extra little bit of money as opposed to why didn't I just back off my job and be more present and live a much more relaxed lifestyle so that I could be with them. I mean, I don't think, you know, I, I, I'm, as I think a lot about purpose and I told you guys, I'm working possibly on a second book and it's going to be a lot about purpose. I don't think people can be your purpose per se, because what happens is kids grow older, they move away, or even your spouse has their own things and people, we, we mm-hmm. change I think ultimately the way we affect people, our children, our spouses, our loved ones, actually the way we most profoundly affect them is by doing things that are deeply purposeful to us 
And that affects them and who they become as people and affects the way they look at the world. So what I'm really thankful is not just the time, but my kids have now grown up seeing me do something that I feel is deeply profound and important. And that might be bigger legacy than the actual time I specifically spent with them. So yes, I've had the privilege of being there every morning as they leave for school and being home every day as they come back. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. But I think what's been magical about these years is they've seen me dive into being a podcaster and a writer and a public speaker, things that really nurture my soul. And I think ultimately that will help them more than any other inheritance that I give them become the people that they're going to want to become. And so, and help them change the world. Cause I'm very convinced that when you live out your purpose and I'm not talking about changing the world or, or doing something big on audacious, but when you find those things that light you up and do them, you automatically start developing community and affecting those people around you. And so when I think about my kids specifically, I think, did they see me lit up? Did they see mm-hmm. me doing things that I thought were very purposeful and important And that, I think, is way more important per se than the actual being with them specifically every moment. And of course, you can go too far with that, right? So if you're so deeply involved in your own sense of purpose, you're never seeing them, then that's obviously not good. But I think that's been one of the gifts of the last few years. And I'm hoping as they go into their own careers and figure out what money means in their lives and try to figure out their how to the structure of their life, they'll take some of that modeling that I've shown them and start building a little bit more of a robust life earlier than I did. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.